I wonder what Christmas means to you. If I'm honest, at times in my life it's meant family and friends and food and fun. But when I was growing up, it mainly meant presents. And of course, presents meant Father Christmas. And I don't know when you first started to suspect that maybe everything you'd been told about Father Christmas might not be true. Um, Hopefully that's not this moment right now. Um, That would be awkward. Um, I still vividly remember being five years old on Christmas Eve and hearing a knock at the door and we went and answered our front door and to my astonishment there in front of me was the actual Father Christmas, Santa Claus himself. And I was thinking, what are the odds of all the houses and all the streets and all the world? He's right here now coming into our house. But at the same time, I was a little bit kind of surprised. I don't, there, was, there was a few things about him which, which meant he was maybe a little bit more disappointing in the flesh. Um, he was a little bit shorter than I remembered and um, not quite as fat. And, uh, but he came in anyway and um, sat down on our sofa And the other thing that concerned me was he wasn't actually carrying any presents. I mean, he didn't have like a sack of presents, he didn't have any presents on his person at all, which is kind of like the point of him. And so I was a bit concerned about that. And then he said, ho, 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 do you believe in Santa? Now that's an odd question for two different reasons. Firstly, personally speaking, I don't know about you, I find it very strange when anyone refers to themselves in the third person, like... Why? Do you believe in Santa? What does it even mean? And then, I mean, but I thought, you know, he's Norwegian, English is a second language, you know, he's kind of, it's a difficult language to learn if you're continental. So I thought maybe that's, that's the reason for that. But then, I mean, do you believe in Santa? I mean, why is he asking me if he exists? Like, what kind of existential crisis <laughs> is this guy facing? Like, it just seems a bit odd, you know. I mean, is he facing some kind of dark night of the soul, some kind of identity doubt? I thought it was just very strange. And then, um, and then I took a step towards him. And you know how it is with famous people. You feel like you know them because you've seen their face so often. And they seem, when you meet them, although you don't know them, they seem familiar to you. I had that sense. And then I took another step towards him. And I thought, I do know him. <laughs> this isn't Santa Claus. This is my dad's mate, Alan. <laughs> like, and unless... Unless Alan is Santa, and Santa, like, jobs as a part-time painter and decorator in Luton, then this whole thing is a fraud. It's all just... And I kind of looked around the room in kind of the righteous indignation that only a five-year-old can summon up. At my parents, they were kind of smiling away. I thought, this whole thing, it's a con. And then I looked back at Santa Claus, and um, he said, what would you like from Santa for Christmas this year? And I said, Nothing. And he said, oh, why is that? And I said, because I don't believe in Santa. Do you, Alan? (laughs) Slightly melodramatic child. And, um, but I mean, the point is, why bother? You know, if it's true, great. But if it's not, why bother? I mean, you know, if Santa exists, brilliant. But if he doesn't, there are much quicker ways to get presents. And for me, you know, at times in my life, the Christmas story can feel a little bit like that. You know, a way in a manger, a nice nativity, a sweet story for kids. But you can feel like if you get close to it, it will probably fall apart and disappoint you. It all seems a bit unlikely. It seems a bit irrelevant. How can the birth of a baby 2,000 miles away 2,000 years ago make a difference to my life today. After um, asking a few questions of Santa, I decided I should probably become a lawyer. And actually, I worked as a criminal barrister for a number of years, and I represented hundreds, um, probably over a 1,000 
people accused of crimes. It's great some of you come out tonight. And um, every day for years, I'd be kind of weighing the evidence, working out the facts about what had happened. And you'd cross-examine witnesses. They'd come into the box. They'd pick up the Bible, and they'd say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And you'd think, we'll see about that. Uh, we'll see, because you get quite good at kind of spotting lies, people's body language, their gestures, their phrases, the words people use sometimes give them away. It's actually really useful if you're in like general election season, um, but you, you, you start to get a radar for when people are telling the truth. And one of the greatest surprises in my entire life is when I actually looked at the evidence for who Jesus is. Look to the eyewitness accounts of what he said and did. I realized this is true. This actually happened. The closer I got, the more confident I became. But that wasn't the only surprise. I mean, I think my idea of the Christmas story was a lot of kind of shiny, perfect people gathered around a crib. You know, the message seemed to be if you tidy up your life, if you sort your stable out, if you're good and holy enough, then Jesus might come along and visit. But the problem was my life was a bit messier than that. My life was a little bit more complicated. And maybe you feel that. Maybe your job is quite complex. Maybe you've got uh, difficult uh, colleagues. Maybe you've got a difficult boss. Maybe you are a difficult boss. Um, Maybe you've got relationships in your life are a bit complicated. Maybe like me, you've got questions. Like, what do I really want out of life? What's my purpose? If I achieve all I've set my sights on, will I be truly satisfied? I don't want to spend my life climbing up a ladder only to realize it's been leaning against the wrong wall. But even at his birth, Jesus attracted people whose lives weren't neat and tidy, whose lives were a bit messy and complicated and probably had lots of questions about their purpose. Mary, so young, Quite vulnerable, actually, having just traveled 90 miles while heavily pregnant, facing all the complexity of having a baby as a teenager before she was married in a culture where everyone would have had an opinion about that, and everyone would have had an opinion about her. Joseph, a young guy, probably wondering how he ended up in a shed far from home, supporting his fiancée as she gave birth to a baby that wasn't his, hoping trusting that this baby might be the saviour. And then the shepherds from the rough end of town, slightly looked down on, seen as a bit sketchy, probably wondering, why are we here? Why have we been invited? What might it mean for us? I actually empathised quite a bit with the uh, shepherds. I felt like an outsider a few times in my life. I went to quite a rough school. Um, it's what these days you'd call a failing school, um, largely because it failed and they knocked it down. And, um, and, but I love my school and I went, I went on. And when I started working as a barrister, I suddenly realized that I had all these gaps. Like I, di- I didn't know all the kind of like social rules and the social conventions. And on my first day, I turned up at the workplace and someone actually said to me, um, oh, where did you get your suit from? Uh, and I said, Suits Direct. And they said, did they throw in the waste get free? And I was like, yes, how did you know? And, um, and then I, I met my boss, and he took one look at me, and he said, you look like a professional footballer. And I was like, thanks. And, um, <laughs> and then I realized it wasn't a compliment, and I wasn't supposed to look like a professional footballer. And, um, 
And anyway, I thought, I thought, you know, you had those moments where you kind of think, am I just in the wrong place? Have I just messed all this up? Is I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not sure I'm really fitting in. And then the first case I did with my boss, we were defending a guy who was alleged to have imported a really large amount of drugs into the UK. And he was driving this big lorry full of drugs. And my boss explained, you know, the evidence is very strong against him because he's the driver and he's with all the drugs. And, you know, the gang aren't likely to entrust, you know, millions of pounds worth of drugs to someone they don't know and that they don't trust. And I was like, yeah, but there's no honor amongst thieves, is there? He said, what? He said, well, you know, I mean, they don't know. If they tell him the drugs are in there, he might cut a deal with a rival gang and then he could sell the drugs on the market or he might just be a bit loud in the pub and he could say something and then someone else might hear the whole thing might be blown. I mean, if you're the cartel, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Why take the risk on a driver? I mean, the drugs are well packed, they're well sealed, they're well hidden. You know, no one's going to find them. Driver doesn't need to know. And in my experience, these gangs operate on a need-to-know basis. My boss looked at me and said, what is your experience, Stephen? <laughs> I was like, oh, um, just mates, you know. <laughs> anyway, he used this line in his closing speech. The guy got acquitted. My boss was so happy, he bought me a new suit. <laughs> and then I started to think, oh, maybe I am meant to be here. You see, maybe your existence is just chance. Maybe your life is just a random collection of events which you try and make sense of. Maybe this is just another evening. But maybe you were made in a unique, remarkable way. Your gifting, your background, even those parts of you that don't quite seem to fit were intended for a particular purpose. We see in the stable that when people come into contact with Jesus, their purpose comes alive in a new way. It's as if the purpose which is woven into your very DNA springs to life in the presence of the one who designed you. Mary, a young girl from the middle of nowhere, finds she's been entrusted with carrying, with raising the saviour of the world. Joseph, a carpenter from a small town, realises he's got the privilege of crafting this child into a family, adopting as his child, the one who enables the adoption of billions as children of God. The shepherds who began the night on the outskirts, seemingly far from God, find they're invited into one of the most important moments, the holiest birth in human history. And suddenly, they have something to say, to sing, which the whole world needs to hear that Jesus has come to live amongst us. I thought if I came close to Jesus that it wouldn't end well. Like, what would he think of my life? What would he think of the mess, the mistakes, the failures I've made? But actually, they were the very reasons he'd come close to me. Says, you know, to all who receive him. To those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. There's a lot in a name. I used to work actually with a guy called Mr. Brilliant. I mean, spare a thought for him. I mean, every day at work, hello, I'm Mr. Brilliant. I mean, and everyone's thinking, are you? Aren't you? Have a good day? You have a bad day? I'm Mr. Brilliant. You know, you can't get away from it. 
But Jesus' name was also uh, laced with meaning, much more significant meaning. Jesus' name means the Lord who saves. You see, Jesus wasn't just a janitor who came to kind of clear up some mess and tidy up our lives a bit. He's not a politician who tells us what we want to hear to win our votes. He doesn't peddle easy answers or give us half-truths. He tells us the whole truth in the most loving way possible, that we need rescuing, that we need a saviour, and that that's why he's come. You see, you'll never be truly free until you are fully known and completely loved. And Jesus knows you to the bottom of your soul. All of the good, all you're proud of and try and push to the surface, all of the bad, all you're a little bit more ashamed of and try and bury. He knows you to the bottom of your soul and yet he loves you to the sky. That's why he came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he shed his blood. That's why he rose again for me, for you. So you might know the breathless wonder of forgiveness. So you might know what it means to be truly free. Free to take risks. Free to explore your, uh, your purpose. And I know we often think that's, that's probably not for me. And I'm sure it's for other people, but it's probably not for me. And sometimes there is mistaken identity. Sometimes when I'd meet clients, I'd meet them for the first time at court, and you didn't have much time, and you're trying to find them, and, and so you'd just kind of walk around shouting out their names, and eventually you'd, you'd find them. And there's one guy uh, representing who, who was going to be extradited to Poland to stand trial for corruption offences. And um, so I was walking around this courtroom going, you know, Mr. Jones, Mr. David Jones, Mr. Jones, are you here, Mr. Jones? And eventually um, I found him, and we sat down, and I said, look, it doesn't look good. The facts aren't great. Legally, it's very tricky. The chances are you are, you know, you are, you are going to be flown to Poland to stand trial. And he looked quite upset. He looked a little bit distressed. And I said, I'm so sorry. Um, I imagine that's quite tough to hear. He said, yeah, it is. He said, I was only going 55 in a 40 zone. Why do I have to stand trial in Poland? <laughs> I said, you, you Mr. David Jones? He said, no, Daryl Jones, Daryl. I was like, oh, you're fine. Don't worry. So sorry. I was like, <laughs> so embarrassing. Probably felt a lot better about his three points, though, after that. <laughs> These are hard mistakes. But what if someone's calling your name, and it's not a mistake, and it's good news. It's actually the best possible news. You thought you might be searching casually for God. What if God is searching for you? What if the closer you get to Jesus, the clearer you see the baby in the manger really is the saviour of the world. That in all the confusion and complexity of life, God has given Jesus for us. And in him we find joy and hope and fulfilment and forgiveness and freedom and purpose and peace in the midst of storms of life. And a love that is stronger than death. Then we can really celebrate this Christmas like never before. That Jesus Christ, the Savior, my Savior, your Savior, is born.
Amen.